0: Boris Klarich, and you are parked in the Access Isle. Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us for another episode of The Access Isle. As always, my name is Boris Klarich, and joining with me today is U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Andrew Landman. How are you doing today, buddy? Good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, so we are observing Veterans Day and and all the work that veterans have done, not just for our country, but especially in the realm of disability rights and disability advocacy. Can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do and the kind of things that you uh, experience working with uh, veterans with disabilities? So I
1: originally went into the Army Reserves as an MP, I was 18, I wanted to do law enforcement, at least I thought I did. That's a a hard job. Um, So I joined at 18 in 2006, 2005, somewhere in there. Like right out of high school? Pretty much right out of high school, yeah. I took a year off, I was adamant I did not want to join the military. (laughs) But I was told that I can either join the military uh, if I wanted to go to college, I'd have to figure out how to pay for it. And so I joined the military. And that was the only way I was going to pay for school. Um, so I joined the military, 2006, 18 years old. Because um, it was the only way I could be law enforcement and not be 21. Because you have to be 21 to do civilian law enforcement. Because the whole you know, yeah. firearms laws. Um, after seven years, I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. And I switched over to psychological operations. Which is, like, in my opinion, the best MOS the army has Uh, we work a lot with civilian populations in other countries and 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 things like that Uh, we do a lot of it's marketing and advertising and and uh, it's kinda um uh trying to get them to stop doing or to do an action that's beneficial to them gotcha uh uh graduated from limestone college in 2015 with my bachelor's degree in social work and then i went to university of south carolina graduated with a master's degree in social work and it took me a little while and i applied here there and everywhere and i knew ultimately i wanted to work at the va and i never imagined i'd get it right out of the gate um but actually today is my two-year anniversary there
0: nice so congratulations
1: yeah, and mostly what my work deals with is is the disability claims that they put in. Um, it's not so much like a disability paycheck when you think about it in terms of um, that goes like a social security disability or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's actually uh, so it's, and this was something that I learned when I first started working there is it's more it's compensation. So. If you think about you have a 100% healthy body or 100% percent able body. when you get that disability rating from the VA, let's say you're 30%, 40%, whatever you are, that's 40% of time that you would otherwise have to, if you were able-bodied, give to an employer that 40% of time, that compensation that those benefits are supposed to go towards is making up for that pay gap. So that would be time that you would normally be at work you're spending at doctor's appointments and and things like that
0: so okay so that they're they're at that point factoring the time that's kind of spent on the disability and and kind of mitigating symptoms and factors kind of related to that transition right yeah okay what what have you noticed about the types of disabilities and and really the types of claims that you're seeing that are popular or, or, or prevalent um,
1: a lot of it a lot of it is going to be your musculoskeletal stuff like your bad backs, bad knees, bad joints, things like that. Uh, and some uh, some mental health issues. Um, PTSD is a is a big one that's I mean, we've all heard that 22 a day yeah. thing where we're trying to prevent veteran suicides and it seems like every other every just about every other week you're hearing about another veteran who's committed suicide and uh, so that's one of the big issues right now. is definitely the mental health. I mean, we've gone from not even actually having a diagnosis. I mean, they called it soldiers' heart in the Civil War, and then moved forward to Vietnam era. Now you have shell shock, and so now I see a lot of older veterans coming in and claiming mental health issues and PTSD for some, you know, Vietnam
0: veterans first time ever, and you know that war ended in the 70s what do you think some of the the barriers were preventing them from seeking that care out sooner
1: i i think a lot of it (laughs) veterans are hard-headed or stubborn a lot of it is we don't want to ask for help um because i mean we don't necessarily see that there's anything wrong with us you know we don't want people to you know we don't want people to see us as broken or anything like that um and so like a lot of that is invisible um, yeah. maybe personally I have a, a TBI um, from getting blown up when I was in Afghanistan and I also deal with PTSD and um, I have some musculoskeletal issues too it's just it's rough on the body um, and so that's like one of the big things is, you know when when you're young you feel like you're invincible and then you start to get older and you're like oh man I guess I got messed up a lot worse than I thought I did and so we see a lot of the um, a lot of the older veterans coming in now for the first time claiming. And plus uh, Vietnam, those those veterans, they really got the short end of the stick when it came to that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and so we've seen a lot of a lot of things come out of just those veterans, like diabetes from Agent Orange exposure, which is the uh, the um, the herbicide agent that they were using to defoliate the forests over in Vietnam. Yeah, um, uh, a lot of a lot of what we call presumptive things, like the musculoskeletal issues, and some other stuff like uh, respiratory issues out of the the Gulf War, um, first and second Gulf War in Southwest Asia. Uh, and, there, and there's a lot of things that that go into that that a lot of people don't really know about. And there's a lot of things you know that <laughs> you get to old Uncle Sam uh stays with you once you get out of service and you don't really realize it and some of it takes several years to manifest and so you don't really realize how bad it is and then on top of that it's the not one to ask for help thing because you're a soldier you're strong you know you don't want to show weakness um and that's 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 a lot of it i think is wanting to avoid that that image of weakness yeah um Which, you know, now knowing being older, it's definitely not weakness. If you need help, you know, something you should do, ask for help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what type of resources do you feel like you want your fellow veterans to know about? Uh, The education money that's there for disabled veterans.
1: Um, We have uh, VR&E, which is uh, Vocational Rehab, uh, Rehabilitation, and Employment. Um, not education, which a lot of people think it is education, but we, it's counseling services that you have available to you as a veteran to help you get that vocational training and uh, rehabilitation and employment, ideally. Because um, that is something a lot of people don't understand. Oh, yeah, you can be 100% disabled through the VA, but you can still work. And that's one of the things that the VA does try to do is to help veterans find employment. Um, and there's a lot of employers out there that are willing to hire veterans just because they're veterans. Absolutely. So um, that's uh, I'm a service-connected veteran, too, and I work at the VA. And that's, that's the biggest joy I get out of it is helping other fellow veterans. Like, I might not ever see them face-to-face, one-on-one, but seeing what they're going through and some of the issues that they're dealing with disability-wise and knowing that I was a part of being able to help them in some way is a huge uh, benefit for me. Yeah.
0: For that term life. you used, service-connected vet, what does that mean? So
1: service-connected it entails, uh, there's a lot of laws and regulations that govern it. Um, and basically what the, the, the layman's definition would be, anything that you have if you have a disability like if you hurt yourself in service and now you're no longer serving you have service connected disability and so that's basically where the VA finds that you incurred this injury or you did something in service to cause this disability and it's considered service connected so it was caused by service
0: how common is that amongst uh, you feel like the current generation of of, uh, active duty? Pretty common. Pretty common? Pretty common. Um, And a lot of, like I was saying earlier,
1: a lot of people don't even really realize that it's considered a disability. And, I mean, it is. It's, you know, especially the invisible wounds, like the mental health stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of veterans pushing for that. Because when you think of disabilities, and it's unfortunate, you think of, you know, your deserving populations and, you know, those who... Oh, well, this isn't their fault. Well, it's not really anybody's fault. No. Um, But so you have veterans, and it's a good face to put on something. They didn't even have... Veterans didn't even have disability rights until not long after World War I and yeah
0: I mean World War I is how we got service animals it was right. it was because of the effect of Parking mustard spaces. gas and yep. so many people coming back blind, blind. that uh, they had to those hospitals had to find a way to how are we going to uh, accommodate now mm-hmm. these, these thousands and thousands of, of returning troops that, that I mean have these needs and they were right. directly as a result of their service right
1: and and the big thing is when they marched on Washington after World War 1 and they were trying to get these benefits they were actually hosed off the street a lot of people don't realize that mm. they were they were veterans US service members former service members were marching on Washington To get some kind of compensation for being sent to this war and and coming back catastrophically injured missing limbs and eyesight um we don't see a whole lot of mustard gas and lewisite claims anymore because that stuff's not really supposed to be used on the battlefield um uh but a lot of the stuff that came out of that we're still seeing today parking spaces for physically handicapped individuals um that came out of that but they were actually hosed off the streets they had their little camp outside of the white house and they came out and just riot police just you know hose veterans off the streets and then somebody was like that's not right <laughs> so we, that's where we got a lot of our initial disability laws and 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 stuff from
0: so from your perspective what's What's missing? Because we know laws are not all encompassing. We can't fix every single issue that's going on uh, with legislation as much as we try to. So, what are what are the gaps currently that that are are hurting our veterans? I I just think that I mean it's a
1: bureaucratic process. So there's a lot of red tape that goes into it. Uh, you know, I can look at a, a claim for. Uh, back injury on one veteran a claim for a back injury on another veteran and there's a there's a checklist of laws and regulations that go into what is and what is not service connected and one of the biggest issues i see is and they've done a lot for it um is having to prove that this is something that was caused by service and so now it We have a lot of these presumptive things that I was talking about earlier where we know that if you were in the military based on your MOS or your military occupation specialty, what your job was in the military, you're more likely to be exposed to certain things than others. For example, an infantry person is probably more likely to have really bad knees, ankles, and and back from having to carry all that heavy stuff around or bad hearing or... Uh, tinnitus, tinnitus, the ringing in the ears. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff, and so it's gotten a lot easier for that, but it's still it's still hard. And I mean, you can't the old the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. And yeah. so I think if there was more awareness on what is actually available to veterans through the VA, uh, for example, if you if you have loss of use of both feet there's actually a grant that you can get to help you get money for uh specially adapted housing or specially adaptive automotive uh automobile equipment and this is
0: like for veterans specifically mm-hmm.
1: for veterans specifically you have to meet certain criteria there's a lot of laws and regulations that yeah. go into it but once you get that it's a grant and i know that you if you have like prosthetics
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you can get a clothing allowance too which is recurring every year you get a certain amount because you might have to have garments altered to accommodate your,
0: um, your prosthetic. So, okay. So I, I know earlier we kind of talked about the, one of the things that keeps veterans from seeking care is kind of that mental barrier of Mm -hmm. this isn't a problem that, that showing weakness. Is it, do you think that that's a culturally inherent thing in the military and that that's possible to change or is that, you know, the cost of doing business? A little bit of both, honestly, and I think
1: uh, I mean I've been in for about 13 years now, so I've seen a huge change in that because we went from a peacetime army in between wars in like the 80s to now the first Gulf War in the 90s. Flash forward a couple years, we've been at war in Afghanistan and Iraq now since 2001 time frame. So, so the keeping it quiet and sucking it up and driving on thing. Um, has really gotten a lot better, and plus, there's a bigger emphasis on you know the hazing thing. That's that's been really cracked down. Um, and they joke around, and they you know it's a kinder, gentler army. And but it, I mean, in reality, we still have the training, we still have the expectations. But I think now it's getting more. You know, this is why in the past uh, there have been such worse injuries and ongoing issues, and veterans seeking help for the first time. You know, they might have got out 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago because of that culture from the past. And now the culture
0: has kind of shifted with more of an emphasis on seeking that help. Do you think it's easier now to find those services? Do you think they're more available than they were uh, in, in previous decades?
1: I think so, Yes. Because we've been at war for so long now, you know. So I think that there are a lot of those organizations out there, um, like Wounded Warrior Project, uh, Folds of Honor, uh, which which helps scholarships for fallen veterans, uh, families, uh, um, and dependents. There's a, there's a lot more of those services out there now than there was in the past, and that's kind of also helped for veterans to get up, you know, be more active and actively seeking those benefits
0: what what is something that so you would want service providers to know as they're trying to reach this community and and get people into care what are some things that we need to keep in mind and being accommodating for and and including veterans Mm -hmm. well most of us are stubborn um speaking from personal
1: experience (laughs) I don't really like to go to the doctor, um, but when I do go, it's generally because something's really not right. Um, and so I think one of the things that to be most aware of as a as a service provider or a medical service provider for a veteran is that they're if if they're coming to you more more likely because they really actually realize that there's an issue and. Uh, they're hard-headed. so you we do we do what's AMA you know against medical advice all the time. <laughs> I just had back surgery for my back not too long ago, and I had to constantly remind myself N- I can't do that yet. I got to let myself heal. <laughs> so that's that's probably one of the biggest things is we're stubborn, um, but and and the whole seeking help in the first place is like against what. You know, is culturally acceptable and socially acceptable within the military culture, so
0: yeah. And is it a -- I mean, we already know that, that coming from active duty back into civilian life, that, that's a transition. And Huge. then adding, adding disability to that transition, what are mm-hmm. some unique things that, that veterans with disabilities are facing when they're trying to adjust back to life after the military? Slowing down?
1: I think that was the biggest thing. Um, I have a couple deployments. Um, I've been in the Reserves for 13 years. I'm, I'm My only active duty time really is deployments. Uh, and it's just, it's such a huge change of pace. Um, coming back from that side and having to turn that switch off. And now, you know, you're back in civilized society. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to you have to slow down and you have to realize that not everybody has a lot of the same training and a lot of the same stuff that you saw and went through and that was one of the biggest transitions like i hear a loud noise and i'm looking around for what caused it where it came from and nobody else is freaking out and
0: that causes my anxiety to go even higher. It's like, what's wrong with you? What are You You feel like that extra spotlight's on you now because right. what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, because now I'm freaking out and I'm looking around trying to figure out what's going on and nobody else is doing anything and I'm getting upset. They're not doing anything and now I look like the crazy veteran on there. And own. it just it spirals <laughs> from there. Yeah. So that was one of the biggest transitions is just slowing down, taking a breath
0: and not, you know. Yeah. So last month was National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and we, we, all, we really celebrate the efforts to get people with disabilities like back into the workforce, back to working. What is something that you would want uh, an employer that maybe hasn't thought about a veteran with a disability for a position, or hasn't really thought about what it would take to kind of court that population about to work? What's something that you would want that employer to know? Just be patient um hard
1: hard workers you know most most people i've met in the military or that are that are veterans are are hard workers and they're willing to dedicate themselves to accomplish the task that's what we're you know i hate to use the word indoctrinated into but that's basically what it is i mean it's we have our warrior ethos and it's you know i'll never quit i'll never leave a fallen comrade. Um, and then, you know, the, there's a couple others. Um, uh, and so, like, the commitment to the mission is there. Um, they might just get frustrated with their coworkers sometimes. And, yeah. You know, it happens. Yeah, But it, they're really process-oriented. Yes, exactly. Definitely process-oriented. Um, they want to
0: know what the end goal is and anything that they can do to help get there and i mean that's that's something that any business any business model can benefit from somebody that's that's ready to just kind of pick up the process and right. and, and are there services for vets that in in that same breath are that can help them find jobs when they get out yes uh the the VRNE that i was talking about earlier so they'll project. work with like active duty that already have their end date in their paperwork. Right. Yep.
1: They'll start getting you worked on getting enrolled in school if that's what you want to do. Uh, they'll start working on
0: helping you find employment if that's what you want to do. Yeah. And so, what are the, are we seeing, uh, have these programs been around long enough for, for us to kind of see the outcomes and the benefits for those veterans that are using them? Uh, I mean, they've, they've been around for a while.
1: I can't really speak to the outcomes and, and uh, you know the, the measures of effectiveness. Yeah, They're, The laws change all the time. and. I guess you were asking me earlier if I could think of one thing that I wanted the veterans to be aware of. It's that that the de- you don't see it immediately, but your voices are heard. The, the The committees and people that they have up in D.C. they hear you. We recently just redid the appeals process, and I think it's a lot better than it used to be. You used to have veterans waiting three to five years for an appeal to be heard. Now they can they can still go that route if they want but now they have other options so it's a lot quicker turnaround uh, so voices are being heard uh, the laws are changing constantly it has gotten so much easier as the time goes on especially now with everything being digital it's all computer so there's no paper claims folders anymore um, but yeah so it's, it's come a long way it's come a long way uh, and, I, and I love it laws changing all the time and that's I mean it's stressful because you have you learn one way and then you're told every you know quarter every every time the the regime change happens yeah. up in Washington and they want this to be done versus this not to be done and it, it's just it's getting better and better and better and that's I mean, Voices are heard. Laws are changing all the time. That's probably one of the most stressful things about the job, but that's also one of the best things about the job. Because you get to see that change you, happen in real time. I Yeah, exactly. I get to see that change happen in real time and knowing where we've come to where we are now.
0: Well, all right. Uh, this has been an excellent talk. Thank you, Andrew, so much for joining uh, me here today. This is where you say thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> awesome. Um... awesome great well social etiquette yeah there's not (laughs) for broadcast there's really not